This is the Piston Broke Podcast, Episode 8. Welcome to Piston Broke, the podcast where we discuss all things motoring with the people who make it happen. Buckle up and let's get started. Here's your hosts, Darren House and Barry Brown. G'day, Baz. G'day, Daz. How you doing, mate? Pretty good. Excellent. Tell me a little about what you got planned for us today. Well, we're making a big trip out to Perkins Engineering, a very well-known organisation in Australian motor racing, uh, established by... Larry Perkins, a former Formula One driver and a six-time Bathurst winner, and it's now being uh, run by his son, Jack. Does that sounds fantastic. I love delving into the history of our motorsport. The business now uh, doesn't run a racing team like it used to, but uh, Jack's restoring a few old cars, um, particularly ones built by Perkins Engineering. And he's got two very special cars out there. One is the 1993 Bathurst 1000 winner, which Larry drove with Greg Hansford. And the second car is a VY Holden Commodore V8 supercar. It was Larry's last Bathurst car. Well, I'll be really looking forward to seeing what uh, Jack has to say about those vehicles. They're quite historic, aren't they? They are. They're fantastic cars. And although we recorded this a little while back, we thought we'd better pull our finger out because one of the cars in particular is about to hit the track again at the VHRR Phillip Island Festival of Speed. Larry's the patron for that meeting and he'll be getting behind the wheel of the car and I'm pretty confident that Jack will be doing likewise. It's great timing considering the background to the Holden Mark right now. I'm sure it'll be an immensely popular choice. Well, that's right. And uh, as I said, we did record this uh, a little bit earlier and that was certainly before the Holden announcement. So, um, yeah, quite a shame that it's come to that. But uh, anyway, without further ado, uh, Jack, welcome to Piston Broke. How did you get involved in race car restoration? I was actually a sign rider for three or four years and the business I worked for in Queensland closed down and Dad had sold the race team to Cali Racing and he said, well, why don't you come down and give me a hand to clean up these sheds and so I can retire? I thought, yeah, that's that's a good thing to do, uh, help my old man retire. It sort of felt like the right thing to do. And um, when we were sort of closing down the business and moving on, there was a lot of interest in what pre-existing car and engine owners could do without having Perkins Engineering sort of open for business. So it really occurred to me that there was still quite a legacy there and um, – over a period of time, I started to take on a little bit of what we did, but also just add a bit of a more twist of what we were doing. So there's, since 1986, they built Bayers in Perkins Engineering. and Dad built 49 race cars and 198 engines. So there's yeah over 200 customers around Australia and New Zealand. And with that came over 5,000 drawings of parts from... VK Commodore strut knuckles through to double wishbone front suspension parts on VY Commodores, engine parts on Holden engines, engine parts on Chev engines. So there's a lot of information there that, you know, my old man was pretty keen to throw in the rubbish skip, but I realised there was probably a small little market of customers and then obviously relating to picking up some work and doing some stuff. So from there I started to just sort of service a few of the customers and let people know that Perkins Engineering wasn't in a dump master. It was still, 
going to do some stuff and we've got a factory on the other side of town and we're just going to do a little bit of hobby stuff and then from there it's escalated into I guess the core part of what we're doing out here now is restoring cars still remanufacture quite a lot of gear but uh, most of the remanufacturing's done at machine shops either K&A engineering in Adelaide or flexi cutting Dandenong so you know if someone rings me up I've got say three customers in Perth two customers in Sydney guys that literally race these old cars of Perkins as they might need parts or might need advice and, and things like that so we're sort of keep the business running but we're not actively running a race team and a race car we're sort of more on restoration and engineering side of the business so from that it's pretty cool and I'm pretty proud of what dad's been able to achieve and to sort of get right into the history of the business and start restoring all these old cars and things like that I find it more enjoyable than coming to work type thing so it's quite cool. The other cool thing about it is that if you've got a Perkins engineering built car you can have Perkins engineering rebuild it for you that's pretty rare. You can't, for instance, have a uh, an HDT car or an Alan Moffat racing car rebuilt by those organisations because they no longer exist. The same for a Dick Johnson racing car because even though uh, DJR is still in business with DJR Team Penske, they're building and racing supercars, not rebuilding old DJR Falcons, Mustangs and Sierras. And that's a good point. It's something I haven't thought about so much because... Um you sort of be closed off with your own stuff. But it is pretty neat because this historic sort of racing scene is becoming, it's always been popular, but it's probably becoming more and more popular because the cars that I watched as kids and, and people of my age group, those cars from the early 90s, or late 80s, early 90s through to the late 90s, they're all now becoming Group A historic type things and this 5-litre Touring Car Association Long story short is there's lots of people showing interest in the cars that they watched when they were growing up. And, and I'm noticing a lot of frustration in what's currently racing. So that aside, it, it's becoming quite popular and there's a lot of the a lot of these um, old cars are coming out of old barn finds and coming out of the sheds and people are either restoring them or trying to race them or do stuff with them, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, for us, we, we certainly focus on Perkins engineering stuff. And, and have a great relationship with the majority of our current customers and current owners. Um, but we've also had some other cars. So you had a, a Paul Morris, Big Kev Commodore in here. So we sort of do a little bit of work for other people as well. But definitely the priority and the preference would be to sort of keep maintaining Perkins stuff. Jack, even though you were so young at the time, how cool is it now to have been so close to some of these cars when they were racing, growing up with them as you did when Dad was racing? That's probably been the coolest thing for me. Like, I was born in 86, so I can't remember the VKs and the VLs, but we've got great photos of us as kids hanging around the pits, and I, I do remember it. But my earliest memory comes from the 93 car, which we're restoring, 93 Bathurst car. That I remember when I was a kid and when I used to clean the car for the mechanics, I could feel the edge on the stripes. So the modern-day painters would just paint it all and clear over base, I think it's called whereas that's done in individual layers, how it was done in 93. So I couldn't restore that car and not be able to feel those edges. So we were sort of gone back in time in the process. So for me, that's sort of the, the attention to detail was really making sure that all those little things that I remembered and I can see in photos carries on today because unfortunately too many restorations look right but aren't right. They're sort of not, not to the technical level of us. But in, in answering your question... Being involved in the sport for me is really cool. I can remember cleaning cars in 
93 when I was a seven-year-old boy. Um, I've been to Bathurst every year since I was born. There's photos of me when I was a month old out the back of the NZ pits when Dad ran the NZVK and just grew up in the paddock. So I feel like it's something I've got a lot of knowledge in, but I also enjoy it. It's a passion of mine. It's a hobby and, and sort of to still be involved with it at this age is, is really cool. And, uh, you know, I can make a living out of what I do in terms of driving, media, TV work, and also coming to work, which is cool. Did the company still own them, or did you have to hunt them down? No, there's a there's a couple of cars on the register at the moment. The first car that we started restoring was Dad's last Bathurst car, VY Commodore, chassis number PE041. That's the only car that Dad maintained ownership in the sale to Callies. It was just part of the deal that Dad kept one car, and that was it. And Again, when I first came back to help Dad tidy it off, we sort of looked at it and it was painted black from being Jack Daniels and it was covered in dust and was a bit tired and we sort of thought, well, we can sell it and get 50 grand for it or, hang on, it's your last Bathurst car. Let's paint it up and have a Castrol car sitting in the shed because that'd be a pretty cool thing to have at the end of it all. So that's been an incredibly long process because we started restoring that and it took a lot of fabrication work. Then we moved factory. Then I raced full-time for a year and... Seven years down the track, I still haven't finished the bloody thing, but um, that's a cool car in itself because, yeah, it is the last car that my dad raced at Bathurst. The next car that we sort of for 10 or 15 years tried to get back, which was the 93 Bathurst winning car. Dad's never really had a connection with old cars. They've always been something you had to sell to then build the next one. He wasn't able to keep a museum of winning cars and things like that because sell one car to fund the next one which was going to be stronger lighter faster and and so on that's how the business ran so 93 was the first Bathurst winning car for the business of Perkins Engineering it was dad's fourth Bathurst win but it was the first win for the business and it's the Jack Brabham story winning winning the Formula One world championship in a car you built yourself this is our own Australian group a version where dad built the car Dad built the Holden engine and they won the race on a shoestring budget by comparison to the, the bigger teams. So that's one car that Dad always just had something for, a bit of a connection. And for those that know Dad, realise that he doesn't really care about a lot of the old stuff. Like I said, he was keen to throw all the drawings in the rubbish bin and just retire. Um, if it wasn't for me scraping a bit of this stuff out of the bin, it would have been a different story. So we set about purchasing that car many times, but... You know, when we initially started to be a bit serious, it was always a bit expensive, I think, because we tried to buy it and then just sort of get putting a bit out of reach because it was a it was a fair effort to get that car going. Being a VP Commodore in 93 to have been upgraded to a VR with a Chev engine and all different stuff, we didn't sort of think it was worth the finished price at the start type thing. So we were able to... Um, a customer ended up buying it and uh, he knew that we wanted it and we were able to do a swap with him because then we went off and bought the 94 car and he was pretty keen to have that. So that's up to three cars. So we've got PE 0793, Bathurst winning car we're restoring. PE 019 is a customer's car that we're restoring and it's in unison with the 93 car, both VP Commodores and um, from economy of scale, it's working out to be good for both of us because it's something we can... Instead of making one part, we can make two of them. In theory, it's cheaper for both of us. So that's that's that. And then recently we've got from a customer as well, PE010, which was the sort of famous Perkins Engineering VL Commodore 1990. It was white with 
Perkins Engineering sponsorship, and then 1992 was Bob Jantimo's car that was Sandown 500 winner, and uh, Bathurst 1000 qualified first, uh, for front row qualified second amongst all the turbos. So yeah, there's four cars in the stables there, which is which is really cool. We could have guessed that Larry isn't the sentimental type when it comes to old cars. Has he warmed to them since you started down this path? Yes and no. It's funny because I can sort of see... One of the best ways to describe Dad's feelings was uh, we had a guy who was a professional golfer owned the 95 Bathurst winning car at one stage. And 10 or 15 years ago, he you know, used to ring Dad and say, hey, I've got your car, like, I'd love to show you. And Dad's like, you know, pretty busy. He's 45 blokes in the factory working for me. We've got other shit going on type thing. And one time he's brought this car in and he's like, you know, mate, really love Larry to have a look at the car. And he's a professional golfer. And Dad said, what do you do with your third set of golf clubs? The guy's probably had 20 sets of golf clubs in his career. What do you do with your third set of golf clubs? He goes, oh, you know, I threw them out. He goes, that's that's my relationship with that car, you know. I've moved on. There's other cars and other things in life. And and when you sit back and think about the way it's analysed like that, you go, well, that's probably fair enough. Um, but, yeah, since then, having got the car back when we first got it, you know, it looked nothing like the, the car. But once you start restoring it and you're dragging out all the old photos and you're getting all the old parts out and you're reliving all the stories and things, I, I think there's a, a little bit of um, pride in the history of it, the fact that you know, brings back some great memories for the business. And, uh, yeah, I think I think he's, you know, going to be really wrapped to see it finished. And that's, you know, a lot of people say, what are you going to do when you're finished? And a lot of people think that you're just going to put a for sale sticker on it. Well, that's not the case. First thing I'm going to do is finish it. And the second thing I'm going to do is take it to a track and have a drive with Dad, myself. And I'd love to have Greg Hansford's two sons there because Greg's, the co-driver and did you know as much driving as dad that day and he's the equal winner of the race and uh, yeah like I said Greg's not with us anymore but I know his sons are as close to it all as I am and uh, I think it'd just be a cool thing to do to go to a racetrack and drive our dad's cars so that's the first two things that are going to happen and the third thing after that is then going to come back to the workshop and probably check the oil and certainly not going to sell it or anything at this stage but um, yeah I think once we get the helmets on and do that I think dad'll think it's pretty cool. Turning our attention to the body preparation, Jack, what sort of process did you have to go through with the two cars? Going back to the very start, Dad tells some fantastic stories of the relationship that all the, when I say all the teams, but you know, definitely Dad's team had with Holden. They used to go down to the assembly line, grab a body shell off the line, whip it back to Perkins Engineering, put a roll cage in it in a day or two, take it back down to the assembly line and get them to paint it for free. And that was a relationship that Dad had built with the guys on the floor. Obviously, the guys in management knew about it, but I don't think there's many bills getting exchanged. And that's the sort of thing that they did as a business. So they were that's the sort of VKVL days, and then the VPs into the VRVSs, they started making motorsport body shells. So they'd put twice the amount of spot welds on everything to really try and increase the stiffness and make motorsport shell doors so they get rid of all the intrusion bars and just try and make them a bit less roady but a bit more racy without changing too much. And it was, it was a really cool thing to do when you look back on it. And that's a great way to really ables historians and people in my position to identify cars and identify parts and things because if you're in the know, you sort of know what you're looking for in terms of these double spot welds and trailing arm boxes and all that sort of stuff. But they... They are the road car shell. It's quite incredible. 
And then in these two that we're doing, the VP Commodores, they are the, probably the biggest restorations around because they start life as a VP Commodore and then when they go to VRVS, they get a parcel shelf and rear quarter panel change. In some cases, they also get a rear floor section above the diff cut out and the rear rails get cut out to allow for the the sort of 1997 rules which allowed the diff to travel higher up into the chassis so they required an enormous amount of modifications and those that are in the industry know finding new old stock parcel shelves for vp commodore is impossible so we went about finding some donor cars so i bought a 300 car out of mildura which was perfect long way from the ocean no rust pull all the interior out of it and you've got a brand new body shell in effect, you know, might have done 150 or 200,000 Ks or 1.1 million Ks, but that sort of stuff was irrelevant because we were able to pull all the parts out, parcel shelf and a lot of the other sections, you know, they the floors traditionally crack around the gearbox mounts because we use the stocky road car gearbox mounts and because of the, the natural torque of it, they crack along the driver's floor just next to the gearbox, and that's every VR, VP, VR, VS race car cracks along that section. So we sort of made little cutouts and grabbed bits off donor cars and sort of patched them in because some of the repairs would have been quite shoddy. So so from that side of things, a couple hundred dollars on some donor cars was effectively like five or $6,000 in parts for us, but we are actually able to source, thanks to a lot of people who have helped support the business through our Facebook page, we sourced, and my my goal from the start was never to whack Chinese aftermarket stuff on them because they didn't run aftermarket parts in 93, so they're not going to run them now. So we found new old stock quarter panels, which was pretty cool, new old stock boot lid, new old stock bonnet. We found three brand new motorsport doors, and the fourth door we converted to a motorsport door, so pulled the intrusion bars out of and re-engineered that. And then from wear and tear, like each corner of the car was punched in from hitting tyre barriers and concrete walls. Because you remember it raced for it raced for the best part of 25 years. It was still racing in Victorian sports then. So we actually had to um, replace the spare tyre well, and that sounds funny in a race car, but in the, in the back left corner is where the spare wheel would sit vertically. And that was that bashed in, but it also coupled as the uh, fuel collector mount. And the fuel collector was sitting on the piss because it was so bashed in. So we grabbed a part of that out of the donor car and were able to graft that in and just sort of really replicate and restore what was there originally. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a big day out when you're doing parcel shelves and quarter panels. It's um, it's a big job. So And then we got, to, you know, doing two cars really gave us the opportunity to make sure we were on the right track and... Um, like I said, maximise the efficiency of, of the work. So we're able to get the, the body shell and all the parts uh, nicely plastic bead blasted by a great guy in, in Sunshine, Victoria, who uses the recycled plastic, and it just polishes the paint off the panels. We blasted the body shell, and the original colours of the welds on the roll cage tubing were still present. That's how light a polish it was. So... Those sort of things have been really fun to do because once you blast off the 25-year-old paint, you can sort of see how cracked and how damaged things are. You can also see what had been changed. So the 93 car had 32 kilos of additional roll cage tubing welded to it to try and stiffen up the chassis to catch up with the evolution. But whoever did that didn't weld all the tubes the whole way around, so the torsional rigidity was running at 40%. 
So they were carrying around 32 kilos of ballast, more than 32 kilos of actual stiffening things. So that's been fun. Um, but then, you know, there wasn't a lot of drawings of body shells and things back then. It was just, you know, the fabricators took a bit of artistic license and it was before computer-aided design. So they would just sort of look at the car and work out where they wanted bars to go and try and keep it nice and light but tick off the safety boxes. So sort of tracing back the steps and using photographs and things... Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of research goes into making sure you're on the right track. Does your dad look at something on the car and say, that's not right? Or does all the detail on all the cars just blend into each other? There's a bit of everything. There's been instances where dad's told us this was how that should have been and, and he's right. And then he's told us something should have been right. We've got a photo that proves it's wrong. <laughs> but that, and that's that's not to say... Um, it's, it's a funny one. It's just more... They built so many cars and went through so many things that it is difficult to remember. Dad welded the roll cages in in the early days and um, sometimes you, I can see how you get lost in translation of which car's which, but uh, we've got another great guy who worked for the business from 1986 and still contracts for me now and he's got a fantastic memory. So between the two of them, Dad and this gentleman's Barry Abbottmeyer is his name, Barry's wealth of knowledge and Dad, when you put them together, they they nut it out and give you what you need at the end of the day. And we're, we're lucky, though. There are a lot of notes, documentations and drawings that can sort of back up what you're thinking, but that's just being part of the fun, to be honest. It's very enjoyable and satisfying when, you, when you're unsure on something and then you do a couple months' research and you can quantify what you're looking for. It's, it's cool. So did Holden help you with the bodies? I... Um, put the call into Holden you know, pretty early in the piece to help source a few of the parts. Now, it's a bit unrealistic on the VP side of things, but we, we tried a, a few things and we've actually found a couple of things buried down the back of HSPO in Dandenong, so that was really neat. But um, the donor cars still help provide the most amount of spares. But with the VY, we got great support from Holden. Um, you know, They supported the business from day one. I think the, the cool thing is they recognised how good of piece of history motorsport played with their brand in Australia so it's nice to be a little cog in that wheel as well. How did you source the parts for the VY? Uh, The VY wasn't so bad because this is the start of the project blueprint era so this was the first time that the Holdens took on the Falcon front suspension the double wishbone a lot less road car stuff a lot more race car stuff the project blueprint was a really sensible move in terms of technical parity moving forward for the category was probably the start of getting to where they've got to now you know veering away from what was sort of production but it was a really good move at the time and then from when the models started changing wheelbase in VE times that's when all this sort of fudging the doors and stuff started to kick in but we're digressing there but um, the VYs only ever got upgraded to VZs and that's just headlights tail lights and because of the headlight change, a little bit of front bumper bar detail. So that was handy. Just got some new VY SV8 headlights from Holden. And uh, we actually had some taillights still on the shelf, which was cool. We used to get a lot of factory seconds from Holden, which there was nothing wrong with them, but they weren't good enough for roadies. And then, yeah, that was just paint and panel, getting it painted back from Jack Daniels to Castrol. And they got the original sign riders in and uh, a few little technical things with the car over time, but sort of put it all back to 2003 spec. When painting the cars, you were pretty lucky because Perkins Engineering has had a long association with PPG. 
Yeah, we're, we're really proud of the relationship with PPG. It, I mean, it all started way back in the early 90s with a business that PPG bought, um, which was Auto Color, which is a brand they don't um, run with now. But, um, you know, Dad's been able to maintain that relationship with them. So that's talking probably in excess of 20, 25 years. And in the more modern era, um, you know, dealing with the current PPG team has been fantastic. And as soon as we let them know what we were doing. They were really keen to jump on board and they sort of see Dad, Perkins Engineering and, and myself as, as ambassadors, which is neat. And, I mean, the product speaks for itself, but um, we were able to dig up our old original colour codes and, and that sort of information is so, so handy. So the guys down there in the lab in Clayton um, dug out all the colour codes. We did spray outs, uh, had pre-existing samples. So the 2003 car, we had bodywork lying around so we were able to quantify the color matches and then with 93 we set about a bit of a nationwide search looking for some original parts and panels just to quantify the paint codes and again did did the spray outs with the lab guys and got it really close obviously technology's changed a bit so to to get the colors as good as we have based on 25 year old color data was really cool and one of the cool things about the 93 car is it's got a black bonnet and a bit of black on the guards and not many people know it's charcoal and it's got a bit of a glitter through it. So we got that color match absolutely perfect. And the other big one was the white, like so many different whites. And we get a lot of people that go off and do their own restorations and the white's not right. You know, like a Holden white is a bit creamier. And we used to traditionally use what I was always aware was like a toyota ice white. Yeah, we really wanted to make sure that that white was was absolutely perfect so we spent a bit of time getting that right and um the colors were, were mint and um ppg were, were fantastic to supply us with all the paint that we needed and um cars have come up really really good and uh like i said one of the big things for me was to make sure we painted it the same way it was painted back in the day a lot of painters wouldn't like to go the extra mile the extra masking up detail the masking of the castrol stripes took us about eight weeks to get right because we'd mask it, have a look at it, and go off and have a think about it, come back, change it, because there's no splashes or templates lying around. And then we got got an original old-school sign writer in to help really just dot the I's and cross the T's, and as soon as we, we finished it, we were happy, but we didn't want to go to the effort of putting the colour over the, the white. It's you know it's a lengthy process when you put a base colour down and clear it and then have to put colours on top. It's... um. It's not something that the modern day painter wants to do, but they respected what I was doing from a historical point of view. It was a bit more labour intensive, but you know, really proud of the way it's come up because it's identical to how it was then. So it's cool. And it's pretty hard to find an old school signwriter these days. Yeah, it is, and we were lucky because the the actual signwriting, the Castrol wording, and all the sponsors are still stickers. So we're right in the timing of stickers coming into vogue. Um, but we were able to get a good old signy that um, knew how to mask stuff up just freehand and just it blew me away because we were stuffing around and working out how to get projectors and computer-aided design and grab photos and transfer it and it wasn't coming up right. And um, once we finally got it where we thought it was pretty good and got the signy in to, to help mask it off, um, it just looked right and then we were happy to start throwing colour down then and... And, yeah, looking at it now in the shop, it just looks just looks mint. With your knowledge of these cars, I can understand you wouldn't be happy if the uh, signage wasn't spot on. And that's exactly right. It just does my head in. 
The biggest thing is when people get cars sign written not by the original sign writer. And, you know, sign writers take a bit of artistic license, you know, like when you're, when you're measuring out a sticker that might have a trademark in it, you don't include the trademark logo in the size of the sticker. So straight away, if I see a, a sticker on a car, a mobile car, for example, and I know it's got a trademark there, if they haven't used the original sign rod, it's going to look a proportion smaller because they haven't fudged it, if you know what I mean. So for me, the, the biggest thing was Pan Signs, our original sign rider, still had all the original files for both cars. So he started sign riding the cars in 93 and went right through to sort of 2006, 2007. So having that was a fantastic leg up, but also being a sign rider myself, I know how to make sure you get all your sizes and your proportions correct to photos because if you go and measure something, it's one thing, but actually putting it in the right place and going overlapping the right bit of the door handle or tucking under a bit of guard, they're the bits of detail that I had to replicate or else I couldn't sleep at night because I looked at this car for two years before we got to the paint and panel stage and I just knew that if I didn't get that last piece of the puzzle right, it didn't matter if I had the right gearbox mounts in it because it just no one looks under there. But the gearbox mounts are right, but so so, uh, is the paint job and so will the stickers. So... Yeah, that attention to detail, like we've certainly spent more money, but it's what needed to be done to, to be right. That Castrol design must have been a real pain in the day when you needed spare panels. Yeah, it's funny because we came to the conclusion that they probably didn't have any spares. If you needed a spare door back in those days, you were probably going home. There's a great photo of the 1994 car on the grid at Bathurst with two stoved-in left-hand side doors. Someone had a crash with that in practice, and they didn't fix it. So the left front door and the left rear door have been stoved in, kicked back out, but didn't pop out properly. So we thought, well, they mustn't have had a spare door painted. They would have had a spare door in a truck, but, yeah, it wouldn't have been painted probably. So that's then where we have a dilemma, whether when we restore the 94 car, do we, do we kick the doors in? But, um, yeah, so I think back in those days, there wasn't a lot of spares, but I have since seen photos where the stripes are, I don't know, probably half a centimetre out on the overlap front to rear door, and you could probably understand why it was a spare door or come off another car or something like that. But it appears as though later on in the VRVS days, like late 90s, they made a proper splash and the outside not a found one, but you could sort of see the detail had changed a little bit over time from the first design, which was actually on the VL Commodore for start of 93, through to where the stripes finished up, which was on the VT Commodores. They just sort of changed a bit. So yeah, just that attention. And you can see that attention to detail when you have a good look at photos and you start looking at where the stripes go through door handles and you start to get a good eye for, <laughs> eye for detail, that's for sure. It's been a really satisfying project thus far and can't wait to see it on track. Daz, we won't have to wait long for the VY. We encourage everyone to get along to the Phillip Island Festival of Speed on March 6 to 8. If you're looking for details, get along to vhrr.com or on the Facebook page VHRR Island Classic Phillip Island. That brings us to the end of another show. Thanks for listening and we hope to have the pleasure of your company again soon.